All right, so welcome back to another episode of the Palm Beach North Podcast brought to you by Jupiter Medical Center. My name is Noel Martinez, President and CEO of the Palm Beach North Chamber of Commerce. And today we're going to dive right into arts and culture right here in Palm Beach North. We have a very special guest with us, Mr. Andrew Cato. Andrew Cato is the visionary leader behind Florida's preeminent Maltz Jupiter Theater. This not-for-profit theater serves over 100,000 people annually, has an $8 million budget, has a very, very, very strong subscriber base, and has a huge heart for education. We could not be more proud of this little crown jewel that we have here in Palm Beach North. So, Andrew, welcome to the show. Oh, no, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me today. So, first of all, congratulations. You know, eight, what was it, 19 nominated for 19 Carbonell Awards. Did I say that right? You did, yeah. 19 awards. You won the Ruth Foreman Award. Like, that is... Absolutely amazing. Huge honor. Yeah, it's really wonderful. Tell us about that award. Who gets that award? Um, well, it's for g- uh, general excellence. Um, so they recognize uh, theaters from time to time. I, I don't think it's every year, but it's every several years. Uh, f- basically from the North County down to Miami. Oh, wow. Um, yep. And um, and so they. I guess we did a good enough job that uh, that they're happy with, uh, with our work. And we found out that we're getting this award um, yeah, coming up. That's great. Yeah. And that's, that's awesome. We're so proud of you guys. And I brag about what, you know, how amazing the Maltz theater is all the time. So before we get into all the amazing things that are going on in the theater, I think it's important that we get to know about the man behind the mission. I really want our, our listeners to get to know a little bit about you. Sure. So let's, let's talk about you as a kid. Where did, where did you grow up? I. Uh, I grew up actually in England. I, I lived there for two years. My father was a captain uh, in the Vietnam War. Um, when he was in Vietnam, I lived with my mother and my sister in England. Uh, my mother was a puppeteer, and that was my first introduction to theater. Wow. Um, she uh, she was a marionettist and uh, did it professionally. Um, so actually, my very first memory of going into a theater was seeing a show called The Counterville Ghost, and then going backstage and seeing these kind of lifelike, uh, lifeless, rather lifelike um, hanging puppets and being kind of, um, you know, curious about, about that and the whole theatricality of it. Um, And, um, and from there, then we moved, I had a British accent. I had a little Cockney accent when I was a kid and I was five and six years old. And then we moved to New Jersey and that completely undid my (laughs) accent, you know? So, um, but I was, I was a very strange kid. I liked magic and, um, uh, we lived on the top of a mountain in, um, in Warren township, New Jersey. And so the idea of like playing sports, you know, you drop the ball and you end up chasing it down the, the road, you know, for half the day. Um, it just wasn't in my DNA. Um, and so I did like eight millimeter films, you know, of Dracula and, you know, um, magic and I was just a weird kid. <laughs> well, I don't know if that's weird. I think it's pretty cool. I mean, I'm sure you know a ton of magic tricks. I don't know any magic tricks, but I do. I do. I, I, I do them at, I do bar magic sometimes. And uh, I actually taught Matthew Broderick at one of my tricks. Yeah. I was out with him one day and I showed him something. I picked up something off the table and showed him. And <laughs> that's a good story. That's yeah. a way to start a conversation, right? <laughs> so any brothers, sisters, anything like that? Yeah, I have an older sister, 16 months older. Um, she's terrific. Katie Cato, they named her. Katie yes. Cato. Okay. Katie Cato. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, she's in human resources in the area as well. Oh, good. She's yeah. in her area. And, yeah. and what, how did you end up here in Jupiter? Like, 
I mean, are you, your your sister lives here in Palm Beach County, you said? She right? does. Okay. She does, yeah. I went okay. to Jupiter High School. I grew up here before moving to New York. Um, well, I, New York via Portland, Maine. I worked at Portland Stage Company for two years after college. I went to Florida State University um, and always wanted to work on Broadway. And um, I really believe in manifesting ideas. Um, and I certainly continue uh, to do that today. Um, you know, I think that if you... It, I believe in the secret. I don't know if you know what that is, but no. it's kind of manifesting yeah. things. It's like putting out ripples out to the world and then eventually they come back to you and and typically they don't happen the way you think they're going to, but they eventually do happen if you want it uh, bad enough. So, um, so I've done that most of my life um, and um, I've been very privileged to um, do everything that I've wanted to do. I wanted to work on Broadway, wanted to have a career in the theater. Um, I, I've only done that in my life. There's only one side job I ever did. I ran a household um, for a family in Manhattan uh, with a staff of seven uh, from seven in the morning till noon every day. Um, but that was my that only- Sounds really rough. It, 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 actually, it was, <laughs> it was a was lot hard. of work. Yeah, because I did all their finances as well. Oh, okay. Um, all right. And um, uh, But that was my only get-by job is when I was starting my company in New York uh, as a producer and I had to pay myself. So, you know, I had to find a way to, to live. But the, I never waited tables. I, I've always been in the industry. Um, uh, so, yeah, then I, I I wanted to produce the Tony Awards. I worked on that, on the Tony Awards for 13 years. And then finally, um, and th uh, some of this overlapped, but I was invited to come back to Jupiter uh, to the what was the Burt Reynolds Dinner Theater that I worked at as a kid. I was a waiter there through high school and I put myself through college there. And my first instinct was you can't go home again, you know? And, uh, and when uh, Milton Maltz and Tamar Maltz invited me to come down, I, I toured the theater and it was, uh, it was, it was having a rough start to be honest with you. And when I showed up, it looked like a warehouse and there was no landscaping and no furniture in the lobby. And, uh, and it really felt like it needed to look like a home. So very quickly having grown up here, the, the yum yum tree, I don't know if you remember that, but yeah, yeah they, they provided us with these kind of wicker chairs. Are they still open? No, no. Um, They're not? They say okay. the McKenzie sold it. Yeah. It's, it's still there, but it's a different company, but we actually had our, our first furniture in the lobby was donated and it looked like the, the golden girls, you know, the, the, the porch of the, of the golden girls and very Florida, but it, at least it felt somewhat permanent. You know, when I came down here, it was like, it, it just felt like in two weeks, maybe it would be gone. Right. And I was like, that's a terrible impression. And bit by bit, we got people to be excited about it. I stood literally at the front door for the first two shows to shake everyone's hand because I felt like it needed a face. It needed somebody to, to love it and to show people that, that we're going to be here. And I remember when I was shaking people's hands, they were kind of looking at me like, who the hell is he? You know, um, but this young kid. Yeah. Right and, but, but after a while people were like, Oh, okay. You know, and uh, we just built it from the ground up and it, it really has been, uh, successful because of the people who show up for the theater, um, both, both in contributions, but mainly in ticket sales. You know, they, I think that the community made it very clear that so long as we created quality programming and quality product on our stage, something that they can be proud of, that they would support it. And with, and I wasn't planning on staying here 
I, this is now my 19th season and I wasn't, I don't know, I wasn't not planning on staying, but I don't know that I had it figured out that this would be something that I would do for a long time. But, um, you know, so people would be like, oh, you're, you know, we're going to continue giving, but we just want to make sure that you're going to be there, Andrew. And I, and I said, so look, as long as we keep growing, then what, you know, why wouldn't I do it here? This is paradise. We live in paradise. Even when you go away on a trip around the world, whatever, driving back down into into Palm Beach County, driving along I-95, as weird as it sounds, I'm always like, oh my God, I'm home, you know? And it's such a great feeling. Well, I get to brag about it all the time, right? We we, do, we live in paradise. Yeah. Like there is, I mean, we've got the best of everything, right? We've got this great theater. And I'm not saying that because you're here, because I say this to everybody all the time. We've got the best mall. We've got amazing golf courses. Our great beaches, hospital, Jupiter Medical Center. Jupiter Medical right. Center, yeah. great hospital, great yeah. healthcare, great, great school. schools. Mm -hmm. Like we're so fortunate yeah. to live where we live. Um, we really are. Indeed, yeah. And and in many respects, we're in a little bubble ourselves too. You know, there I think that people um we find in the theater, um, a lot of the people who come here are either from Cleveland, right? They kind of migrate down from Cleveland or they come from the tri-state area, mm -hmm. which is a theater going area. They have their Broadway fix. And so when they come down here now, they're they want the equivalent of that. And uh, the fact that we're creating art on a grand scale through our productions and we're doing Broadway quality work, um, they're like, yeah, I'll show up for that. I'll, you know, and, and a lot of times they're saying like, we don't charge enough for our tickets. You know, they're like, you can charge more, Andrew. And I'm like, no, that's not our mission. Our mission is to make it affordable for everybody. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really, I'm really pleased, um, that we've grown in the way that we have, even through the pandemic and the trauma of building, this, you know, $42 million building, it, it just has worked out and everyone's coming back and everything is back to normal or our new normal, I should say. Yeah, our new normal yeah. for sure. Yep. So you, your, your title is producing artistic director. So tell us a little bit about that. What does a produ a producing artistic director do? Yeah. Um, it's interesting. A lot of regional theaters, the way they're structured is that they'll have a two headed monster, right? They'll have an artistic director and then a managing director. And my training is really in both. Uh, I have a, both a degree in business and in theater. And um, I, I think it's probably a benefit to our organization that both art and commerce live in one brain, right? Because I have to kind of du duke that out with myself. So when I'm choosing a season, I'm not only thinking about what to put together that would be make sense artistically, but also how we fund it. Um, and, and decisions are made in ways that people don't even, can't even contemplate, for example, housing. Um, if you notice, we always do a large scale musical in January and we end the season and right in between it, sandwiched right in between is a small play. It's because of housing. Oh. We have seven, three bedroom condos, but if you did two back-to-back -back large musicals, then it would be, you, the housing issue would be, you know, greater. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So it's things like that, that, um, you know, the, you just, it's just better. I don't, I can fight with myself, right. I don't have to fight with the money guy if I was artistic or, or, you know, it, it all lives within me. So yeah. what does a day to day look like for you? Like typical day, you wake up in the morning, um, in, I mean, you're probably at work till 10, 11 o'clock at night, every night. Yeah. In season we do, we we're expected to do long hours. And in fact, on Broadway, most offices open at 10 o'clock because most people are out at the theater working in some capacity, right? So our days are very long. 
Um, not in the summer. Uh, we do our summer programs uh, for kids. Um, and so, and our, we do have a full-time staff of 50 people. And believe it or not, most of our work, all of our invitations, our events, everything is pre-prepped in off-season because nightly we'll have two or three things going at the same time. So, so we need to do all of that work in advance. Um, so we're very um, strategic um, in terms of how we approach our work. Um, I think probably more so than a lot of businesses. And, and, and a lot of people would be surprised by that because they think that theater people are, are perhaps more flighty or, you know, just responsive. We're the opposite. It's called show business, right? Mm -hmm. So we're a business and we have to operate that way. So, so right now I'm producing this season Next season is already decided and contracted and we're doing artwork and all of our work. And then I've already opened up the 25, 26 season and started thinking about that because, because we're about 16 months in advance. That's of crazy. Everything. So yeah, it's a, it's, it's a business. So a typical day for me, um, it can be anything. And what's cool about my job is it, first of all, it goes by very fast because at any moment I might be, um, I'm conceiving right now our new production of a Christmas Carol. Mm -hmm. So I'm in artistic meetings. We were talking about a new song that's going in today. We're talking about orchestrations. We're talking about um, one of our little kids who were in it just dropped out. So we have to do a cast replacement, right? And then in the next meeting, I might go into our endowment meeting with Harvey Golub, who is the CEO of American Express and talk about our investments in our endowment, right? Mm -hmm. So um, or go into a budget meeting about our new second space, 199 seat theater that I have to start, even though it's not finished yet, I have to start planning for, for next year, it's going to open in May. And we, you know, I, that's how far out in, in advance you have to be. So, so you, you talking about business, right. And, you know, I say that all the time, or the chamber's a nonprofit organization, but we run like a business as well. Mm-hmm. You are a nonprofit business, but I mentioned earlier, you have an $8 million budget. Yeah. It takes a lot of money to produce and to be able to do what you do on a daily basis. So where does all that money come from? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, people are also surprised that we, uh, a lot of our budget comes from ticket sales, 60%. Um, it's the national average is about 50% earned, 50% contributed, and we're about 60% earned. Um, and so that would be from our season shows. Um, most of them not, only break even, but we build in profit. Um, mm-hmm. And pre-pandemic, we were doing between 92% and 92 and 100% capacity. Um, so in pre-pandemic, we were we had a $6 million uh, initial loan on the theater. We paid that off in 15 years. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it's exciting that art can actually fund business opportunities. And we're scholarshipping kids in our area for our school. Um, so yeah, that, that all gets rolled up, uh, into one 40% does come from contributions and people are very generous in this area. We do have a a $10 million endowment, so we get 5% draw from that. So that's about half a million a year, um, which is, which is wonderful. Um, but, um, but yeah, it operates like any other business. Um, and we've been in the black every year that I've been there, um, early years, full credit to Milton and Tamar Maltz, they bailed us out. Uh, to about a tune of a million dollars my first year, 500,000 the year after. But in addition to that, they they created this endowment, right? And then they've also contributed 
um, towards our new building. So in their lifetime, they've given $30 million to our organization. Wow. So everyone needs a Milton and Tamar Maltz in their lives. Right. And I'm, and I'm so grateful to them for, um, creating that comfort level that we can do the work that we do. Um, and there are many other donors as well to thank Ro Green and, uh, Rick and Peggy Katz and people who've been with the theater for, for forever. Um, but part of our, um, Part of the, I think, our success of our fundraising is our engagement with our donors. So we do a number of events at the theater. They're called Circle of Friends events where we invite them to see how we create our magic on our stage. So the, our first uh, event for Murder on the Orient Express is called How to Stage a Mur Murder. And the set actually is um, – a it rotates, it revolves around, but it comes together in pieces. So as one sets on, they're attaching another piece and then it revolves around. Um, so it's got, you know, we'll show, we'll expose how that happens. Um, yeah, that's interesting. And, and people love that or, or bit mapping projections like projection art and scenery now is a huge new addition. We have a, a 40 by 25 foot led wall that we use a lot. Um, so the technology, all of that are, people are interested in or how an audition happens. One year we invited our donors to come in and they got to select the music who paired with who they had all these different options. So they knew that we weren't making it up and they, they choreographed three separate numbers within a half an hour right in front of their eyes. And they were like, Oh my God, I can't believe how fast they work. And they literally made it up right in front of them. And so it's creating those moments for our donors where they're, super engaged and they'll learn, you know, everyone loves a little lifelong learning, right? You, you keep, keep that, that, um, interest going. Yeah. And then, so I also mentioned that you have over, you know, you have a huge, strong subscriber base, right? Um, so season ticket holders, I guess, right? Subscriber. Yes. I call them season ticket. I'm thinking football. Numbers. No, but it's the they, same. It same is, thing, right? It is. Yeah. So how, how do you like build that? Cause you've built that drastically over the years. Yeah. So retention is probably, I think another area that we succeed in. And I, I, I'm, thank you for asking because our marketing team gets most of the credit for this, but there it's developed into an art. So one of the things is announcing early. I was telling you that we're well-planned, right? So I already know what next season is going to be. We announce in the third week of January. So we're in the height of season. We talk, about ourselves and the show for two shows we table in the lobby where we're actually so we send out the brochures and we're actually tabling every night with our team so if they forgot their subscription form we can print one out right then and there and then after that after the show the season ends we send out a postcard that i'm not joking is like monster size that comes in there and it literally in in red and white letters says don't lose your seats and that it's a little fear-based, which is, you know, but people are very, they take huge ownership over their seats. And when they get that card, suddenly all the subscription for, you know, the ones that people have forgotten. And then outside of that, we call, you know, and basically if, unless you tell me I hate your guts and I never want to see you again, or, you know, we we pegged off, you know, we're, we're going to keep bothering you. And borderline stalking a little bit. No, yeah, I guess maybe a little, <laughs> but you know what? It's just not letting the opportunity pass. So, so our retention is very high. And then from that, then you build your numbers up, right? You're always going to lose people because they move out of the area or, you know, whatever, but, um, but we don't give them that opportunity. Uh, you know, if they don't have a good excuse, we're like, no, 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 come back. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, well, so the theater, by the way, it, 
looks absolutely gorgeous. You've had some major renovations over the last few years. Talk a little bit about that. Um, talk to us about what, you know, the community can look forward to. Sure. Well, um, the, the idea of doing the build out came out of a, a wonderful strategic plan that we started probably about 10 years ago. And then we started fundraising about seven years ago. And there were three main objectives. One was to launch a pre-Broadway show. So most shows that go to Broadway try out in a regional theater like the Most Jupiter Theater. And no fault of Burt's because the zoning in Jupiter was much different. But the stage scale was not big enough to can be competitive for people to try. Because you, you want to have a stage that's approximately the same size as a Broadway house, not a performing arts center, which is much bigger, but a, a Broadway house. So we create traps. We did all the things that would be um, little traps, which are the area under the stage where you can lift people up through. We created a bit bigger fly tower, all of that. Um, and so now we're, now we're getting the phone calls from Broadway producers saying we would like to try out our show in Jupiter, which again, creates wonderful economic activity for us because they bring millions of dollars of investment down into this area. Oh yeah. So the second objective was to diversify the kinds of shows that we're offering. So we decided to create a 199 seat second space, which is uh, being built right now. Um, and then the third objective was to double the size of our Goldner Conservatory, which is our school uh, where we're teaching after school summer and weekend programs. And um, that's our final bit of fundraising that we need to do. There is a naming opportunity for the right person uh, with signage on the outside of the building that's been pre-negotiated with the town of Jupiter because they're very particular about how much signage. Just we a little bit. <laughs> In a good way, I think. I mean, I love Jupiter and the way it's grown up. So, right. I love yeah. Jupiter too. Yeah. Um, I live in Jupiter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, um, so we have 8,600 square feet that still needs to be built out. We're hoping to fundraise that this season and get that started next summer because our goal is to educate about 1,200 kids a week in classes. So, um, so really it's all about creating um, opportunity for our community to be engaged with us either by coming to see a show or being educated, or we have 400 volunteers as well. You can be part of our program through that. Um, there, you know, there's so many different ways you can be involved with us. Something else I talked about was education at the beginning. And mm -hmm. we talked about the conservatory and, and I know kids that have been through that program that actually end up on, on some of these big shows. Um, Talk to us a little bit about that. What's the conservative? Tell us about the program. Yes. Yeah, so there, there are different entry levels for kids to come in. Um, we, we like to create opportunity and not everyone has to be a star and have the greatest voice. Sometimes just being part of something is like being part of a sports team um, is important. And, and kids love um, the, the skill set that they develop from that, whether it's just uh, learning to be a good public speaker or um, learning discipline. We teach discipline very well. Obviously, to be good on stage, you have to be a triple threat, sing, dance, act, stage combat, learn lines, all of those skill sets. And they, they've actually done studies with kids that they find if you're involved with an art and culture pro project, um, you're more likely to do well in school because of the skill set that you learn in in theater. Mm -hmm. um, and um, and so you have that opportunity um, to come in and just be maybe a part of a summer camp and do a, a musical or a play. Um, and then we also have advanced studies for ballet and jazz and other dance um, where you can actually hone your skills 
to be ready for auditions or where you can work in other regional theaters, or we've had some of our kids go on to Broadway. So that's great. And how do you find those kids? I mean, do they find you or do you have some sort of program where you're going into these schools that kind of, cause I mean, not every kid has access to, to. Yeah, it's a little bit of both. Um, believe it or not, it's a little bit build it and they will come. That's why it's a little frustrating right now that we have, this unfinished square footage of 8,600 square feet. We just need the studio space, right? Because once we build it, we will be able to do so much more. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and then also it's a it's a, about outreach. So we we do uh, fundraise to bring Title One schools in to do um, shows, but we also do auditions. First step to stardom, where like there are kids in a Christmas Carol. There are twelve kids um, who have auditioned, and they will be in the show. Oliver, all the kids were local kids, yep. except for Oliver. Yep. He came in from New York. Yep. Um, but um, so there are opportunities for kids to rub elbows with the professionals, um, and and or just be involved with a summer camp. It doesn't need to. Be, it doesn't need to be one thing or the other. One of my favorite kids ever was in Oliver, Chase Bauer. He's, oh my God. I'm like an uncle to him. I love that kid. He um, is so sharp and I know how proud his parents are of him. And when Mike was on this show, we spent a lot of time talking about the show and how proud he was because it was right when the, when Oliver was coming out. So it's an amazing program. And I've seen Chase grow. Yeah. Like I remember him when he started um, going to the conservatory and getting involved with the theater and where he's at now is just unbelievable. So. Yeah. Well, he just, I mean, I mean, part of it too, for him is he just has natural ability. Mm-hmm. So w- when you have someone who is that talented, then our job is just to kind of um, hone it. Right. And, and, or even just give create opportunity. So when he did Oliver, he was, um, rehearsing with a two-time Tony nominee, Dennis Jones, right? And Dennis is a perfectionist. I mean, he is like, he doesn't let anything go, right? So to be involved with somebody who has very high standards, you know, is only going to benefit the kid, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But Chase also rose up to the occasion. You know, he was, he was as good as any kid on Broadway. And, you know, I told um, his parents on opening night, I'm like, He's got his equity card from us, from the theater. If he wants it, when he's ready, we will sponsor him with that, you know, because he's got it. Yeah, we're so proud of Chase. He's the best, man. So let's talk about culture and staff, right? You've, you have a lot of staff that's been with you a long time. Mm-hmm. You have a huge, I mean, 400 plus volunteers. So what's the culture like at the theater? Like behind the scenes, what we don't see. Yeah. Um, I, I'm really proud of our culture. We actually have developed um, something called um, uh, Talented and Kind, and it's actually a logo that has been created. It's a, it's probably like five foot around, and it's posted in all the areas backstage. And it came out of a speech that I give on the first day of rehearsal to the visiting artists. So we'll bring people in. We cast out of New York and locally. But when the cast comes together for the first day of rehearsal, I say, listen, there are two reasons why everyone's in this room. First of all, you're all very talented. And that goes not only for the people on our stage, but the people on our staff. And the second reason why you're here is because you're kind. And if you're not, there's the door. And I'm not kidding. Leave the drama on the stage. You have a choice every day to wake up and bring something positive, you can have a bad day, not a problem. You can't have a bad week. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, and I think what's important is you just set those expectations, you put them out. Um, and, and it works. Um, interestingly, we added talented and kind to a new area of our, um, 
theater, which surprises people, but it's at our box office. It's our customers. During the pandemic, we fired eight customers because they didn't know how to speak respectfully to our staff. And we have cameras. No, 100%. Good for you. Those, Those in our society who don't know how to be kind to each other they don't have a place at the Mall Street Theater, I can tell you that much. Um, and so, I mean, it does create a very high level of expectation. And I think it has to start at the top, right? And mm-hmm. so, look, we're not without flaw, you know? Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, uh, I, you know, you, I don't have a perfect day every day either. Um, but I think at least the expectation is there. And people actually comment, um, especially visiting artists, when they come in, they're like, oh, my God, this is like you can just feel the positive energy in the building. And that's the goal. You know, that's you the can whole, feel that. I don't care what no. what business, what organization you walk into. You can feel that you yeah. really can. If people are happy or not. Right. Yeah. And also keeping an open door policy. You know, I, like I said, I do probably eight to ten meetings a day. Mm-hmm. But when somebody needs me, um, and it doesn't even have to be necessarily a business-related thing, you know, people have complicated lives, and sometimes people just need help. Yep. And if theater people can't be there for each other, who could be? You know. What about growth opportunities for your team members? Like, how do they grow within the organization? Yeah, I mean, for the most part, I think we're very proud to promote people from within. And again, it's um, it's kind of like casting a show, um, not necessarily. Um, not everyone's going to be a natural fit for the next step up. Um, but where there is um, opportunity, um, you want to give that person their their chance. People invested in me when I was growing up. I had a, I had a lot of people who, uh, my Broadway, my first Broadway job, uh, Margot Lyon, uh, I, I was working in Portland, Maine. I drove in, I did an interview um, and, you know, she took a chance on me. And same with the Tony Awards. Uh, when I went to Ricky Kirshner and Glenn Weiss, who are the executive producers, who, by the by now, are not only doing the Tony Awards, they do the Kennedy Center Awards, they do the Oscars. They're the, the most prolific, the, the most go-to producers for that kind of thing. Well, when I started with them, it was their first year on the, the Tony Awards. And we did a, a, an interview and they were like, do you want to be the creative consultant to the Tony Awards? And I was, you know, I just dropped the phone. Like, I, like I couldn't even believe that they were, <laughs> they were offering that to me. And the funny thing about it was midway through my first season there, the line producer came up to me and said, Andrew, um, the, listen, the guys are really happy with you, but they want to know why are you here every day? I didn't, I thought I was, that was the expectation. And I had just jumped in and I learned about video production and how to produce a segment just by showing up. And so that's kind of what I was talking about manifesting things. It's just like part of the job is just showing up, just saying, I'll do it or, you know, let me do it, you know, and then people giving you the opportunity to do that. So I'm extremely grateful to them that they gave me you know, 13 amazing years of, I, I started with Wicked and I closed with Hamilton. Those were my 13 years that's, there. So. That's not bad. No, it was really good. Yeah, no, not at all. So board, you're a nonprofit organization. You have a board just like I do at the chamber. My by boss, the way, yes. you're, you're one of my board members. Yes. What What is the role of the board members in steering the theater's, you know, uh, you know strategic, strategic plan? Well, our board is... Um, very engaged. And, um, I'll give you an example of something that happened coming out of the, out of the pandemic when we're trying to get audiences to return. Um, 
I went to our board and I said, you know, I, I need help. I need help in getting uh, new donors to the table and new audience members. And so very quickly, it was within weeks, we created a new um, committee called the Reed Committee. It's called Revenue Enhancement and Audience Development. And out of that program came um, a, a new ambassador program that we're creating this year, uh, which uh, is an out, it's like a volunteer, but it's an outbound volunteer that go and talk about all the things that we have to offer. Um, and th this came directly out of a committee, though, from the board. Um, but they're also, their job is to be um, advocates for us. They do a lot of fundraising. They make introductions, um, even for the build out, you know, they'll, they'll set up the meetings, uh, I may go close them. And, you know, I, I, one of our board members did a dinner party on Jupiter Island every night for five nights in a row with eight people at the dinner table every night. You know, that's the, the opportunity that they create. They do a lot of cocktail parties. They do a lot of entertaining for our visiting artists. Um, they give us money, you know, I mean, they're, they're, they're super engaged, um, in, in a way that, that it's, it goes beyond just having your name on a letterhead. It's, it's about really caring about our organization. So you touched on your ambassadors, right? So you have your ambassadors out there helping you spread the word about mm -hmm. all the amazing things going on. What are other ways? Cause marketing is a big part of this, right? And letting people know what's coming up and we've touched on a few of them, but what are some really creative or different types of ways that you're getting the word out about what's going on? Um, well, um, part of, the the power of theater is invitation, right? It's it's literally inviting people to be part of your organization. So we do that in a number, or we are currently doing it in a number of ways. One, we're offering backstage tours, um, and people can sign up, and we'll take twenty people at a time, and they'll walk through, and they're shocked at how big the building is. It's sixty two thousand square feet, three stories of. Um, rehearsal halls and um, costume shops and all this creativity that's happening. So they love that. We're also offering masterclasses on Saturdays. They're free to the public, 11 o'clock. People can sign up online. It gets them in the building. They get to hear an aspect of our production, uh, like uh, how to create colorful characters or a little bit about Agatha Christie and her history, whatever it is on 42nd street, um, you know, uh, uh, behind the scenes stories and, and the experts coming in and talking about that. So, um, and then also, uh, democratizing our space, giving, you know, we're a community center. We happen to specialize in theater, but really our building belongs to our community. And so it's really about making sure that people feel like they can invite their friends. So we're doing book signings and we're doing, um, events for with the, the chamber. chamber. Yeah. You host us all the time. And Thank you, by the way. But I mean, it's our, it's our <laughs> pleasure. And it's honestly our duty. Like that is our, that is our obligation to the community to do as much as possible. Um, and make sure that people are inside. Um, also limit, we do a series of limited engagements too. They're basically really high end tribute bands. Um, uh, and, uh, you could probably see them at Abacoa, um, but you're in a nice theater and it's not going to rain and you don't have to bring your folding chair. You know, it's a comfortable theater. Um, AC is nice too. Yeah. This year we're, <laughs> uh, this year we're hosting uh, WRMF though. They do a, a Halloween uh, event where they created this film. And so 
we're doing it for little smiles. Um, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And so it's just like doing, oh, and and another thing we're doing, I, I'm so excited about is community. I was going to ask yeah. you later about it, but go. Yeah, no, go ahead, it was an idea that yeah. Christina Renosco in, in development came up with, and then Jeff and marketing came up with the, the, the pun communities, but we're, we're inviting 20 not-for-profits to decorate a holiday tree in the spirit of their organization. So I know the chamber is one of yeah, them. Our, our education um, foundation is going to be there. Yeah. Um, but we have a really diverse group of uh, people, Mandel JCC, Compass, um, uh, all, all of the, the people that we know in this area that we, we love, we invited them to, to come together and, uh, Roger Dean, I think might be doing it. I'm not, I'm not sure, but, okay. um, uh, we're going to decorate 20 trees. People can come and vote and, uh, Roe Green, one of our donors is giving a $5,000 gift to the winner. The pe people get to vote. Uh, when you come in and view the trees and the winning organization will get a $5,000 check. Is this where I plug, go vote for the Palm Beach North Education Foundation tree? Cause we will be there. Yes. And this is where I plug it, right? Yes, where you plug it. Yeah. All right, good. <laughs> so let's have fun with this question. Cause okay. I, a lot of people don't really know what goes on behind okay. closed doors, right? So what was the most challenging show mm. that you've have ever directed and why? Um, not that I directed, but because I mostly produced, I'm but so, I yeah. was involved with, um, we did a production of Amadeus, which is one of, I, I don't know if you've seen the film, but um, Mozart's uh, life was captured in this film. And I, I was always in love with it. And it was originally written as a stage play. And um, the challenge was that um, uh, the director of that show um, hired a lighting designer that created these really beautiful looks. I mean, it's very filmic looking, but literally it was so dark on stage. Actors were coming up to me and they were saying, Andrew, can they turn up the lights? And like, we can't see each other on stage. I mean, it was very well rendered. And the, I believe one of the reviews said, we think it was a good production. We just couldn't see it or something like that. Um, so it's things like that. You know, they make for good stories, but when you're going through it, it was kind of like, ah, you know, that's not fun. <laughs> it's not fun. No, yeah. no, no, no. It's not fun. So we've got a great season coming up. What, you know, we've got, uh, we, we've got the, the directory. Is that the directory? Yeah, yeah. It's our season subscription. Uh, they're still available. Uh, you can get online a great season starting, uh, with murder on the Orient express. Yeah, well, what are you most train. excited about? What's the show that you're most excited? Well, about? I I'm, I'm developing a Christmas Carol and you know, Christmas Carol has not been done in this area, you know, and we, we thought let's try and make it a perennial. Let's start it in the, in the 659 seat theater. And then if people come and support it, then we'll just keep doing it every year in our smaller space. Um, but what I love about a Christmas Carol is Ebenezer Scrooge's journey um, and kind of self-reflection, you know, he's forced to look back on his life to see what kind of person he is. And I think it's a really good time in our, in our society, in our culture to go, uh, let that bounce off of you, you know, come see the show and see, check in with yourself. You know, are you doing everything that you can to make a great community? Are you, are you kind to people? You know, uh, you can see a theme here with yeah. me. Um, you know, it's like, look, we, life is hard and let's just try and make it all a little bit better for everybody. Um, so whether you're entertained by coming to see Carol King's beautiful or you, you get a, 
a less, you know, Christmas Carol 2 is going to have a lot of special effects where we're doing flying and, you know, magic on stage. It's going to be 70 minutes of great fun. So I'm not pushing the message part of it. You'll have a good time as well. But look, if you can't reflect at the holidays, then what are you going to reflect on? Amen. You're hundred percent right. So, all right, last question, because we're running out of time. Okay. I ask this question to everybody. You have have really left your stamp in this community as a leader. Mm -hmm. Not the theater, but Andrew Cato has. So what do you want your legacy to be? Well, I'm lucky that I have um, a partner, Jay Johnson, um, and I have a son as a result of that. And he's 30 years old and he just recently got married and he's super successful. And so a lot of people have family, they have kids, and that becomes um, you know, a major part of their legacy um, in a weird way. Uh, the theater is a little bit of my baby. It's all of our baby, right? And so I always say, let's serve the baby, which means this beautiful theater that we've we've created. And I, I hope by the time I'm done with my tenure at the theater that I can pass the baton on to somebody to, and that this keeps going for our community, that it's something that they value and that is it goes from being an organization to being an institution right within our community. Um, and Bert set that up beautifully for me. We didn't talk about it, but I wrote my first musical when I was a kid and that was because of him. Um, and so, so I think that just passing the torch and having it be in a good financial and, you know, good place at the end. That's awesome. Well, is there anything that you want to leave and with, is there anything else that you want us to know? Anything we're not, we haven't touched on. Well, I get mean, your tickets. A, yeah, buy your tickets. JupiterTheater.org, um, or you can call our box office. We're always happy to help you. We we have a box office that's open on uh, weekdays, and um, I think probably the most important thing we were talking about the power of invitation is whether you come in as a volunteer or a donor or a subscriber or a student. Um, just come be part of the most Jupiter theater. There's a lot of really great opportunities and a lot of fun. Um, and we rely on people. Uh, it's a building. It's a, right now a beautiful building, but it's Gorgeous. bricks and bricks and mortar. Mm-hmm. It's the people that come in our building that do their work and the, have the enjoyment, build the memories that make it a great organization. So that's what I would ask is just come be a part of us. Well, Andrew, thank you so much. This was awesome. You were great. Um, absolute pro. We are so proud of the Maltz Theater. Thank you for your leadership. Um, thank you for your support. You are so supportive of the chamber and not just the chamber, so many different nonprofits in the community you do so much for the community. We can't thank you enough. And we're you. really proud of you guys. And thank you for your leadership too, because you got to have a charismatic leader and you are that for our chamber too. So, so good on you. Thank you, Andrew. That means a lot. So thank you so much for tuning in. This was another great show. We'll have another episode coming out in a couple of weeks. Please make sure to follow us on social media, share this with your friends, let everybody know about all the great things going on in Palm Beach North. Thank you.